A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Bronco Ulaga and Diana Lima from Vink Chemicals. Bronco is the chief legal officer for Vink, where he leads regulatory compliance and legal, as well as global and HR strategy and provides advice in those areas. Diana is the business unit director for North America, where she is focusing on growing the business in the North American region. So we're going to have just a great conversation about Vink and about how its approach to the market is unique and the products it brings to the market, et cetera. So Bronco and Diana, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Great to have you here. So Bronco, let's start with you. What's your origin story? You're obviously a lawyer and you're very well educated and have worked a lot across Europe, but how did you get interested maybe in legal, but also in chemicals and what brought you to Vink Chemicals? I guess the answer for legal is just the general sense as a young person of justice and all that history of creating democracies and equality and injustice throughout the world. But after finishing both bar exams in Germany, I started with a with a couple of international stations. I just started with a German-Canadian law firm and more of an international background and transitioned to Caterpillar, which is the construction industry, you know, the heavy excavators and the trucks and so on. A very interesting field, also full of regulatory, maybe also dual use issues, which is also prevalent in chemicals. And then actually during that time, I did an MBA in London at the Halt Business School, which is an American business school. And there I met actually Mr. Jamie Vink, who is the CEO and owner of the company. We got to know each other during those two years and then it happened. So I transitioned into chemistry. Awesome. That's interesting. And Diana, how about for you? What got you interested in chemicals and in Vink? Well, my background is I'm an engineer, but not a chemical engineer. The chemical, I would say the chemicals found me more or less. For me, it was at the beginning more about the people, the company, the job. And somehow I started in the chemical industry and just stayed in the chemical world. I started at the SCP industry and then I moved to another company where they specialize on biocides. And I think today we're also talking about biocides, what we do. And first, you know, I was responsible for product management, oil and gas. And then I was lucky enough because the company sold the industrial part to Think Chemicals. And I was part of this merchant acquisition project, which was amazing. And after this project was closed and Think acquired the whole industrial part, then I joined Think Chemicals first as a chief marketing officer for being leading the oil oil and gas unit worldwide. And after that, now with the task of developing the North American region, which is quite new for us. So originally, I know I'm from Mexico, but I spent the last 15 years in Germany. So I guess that was also a good mix that led me to this position where I am now. 
Awesome. That makes sense. And the chemical industry, once you're in it, is hard to leave. So I'm glad that you've stayed and are continuing to enjoy it. So tell us a little bit about Vink. I think it's maybe not familiar to a lot of people. So tell us about the company. Maybe I can start with that there has been traditionally a German, let's call it trading house or trading company in Northern Germany, Lower Saxony. And uh, they were training different items throughout the world. And it just happened that there has been more and more requests and demand for like these specialty chemicals, let's call them that. And finally, Jamie Pink decided to found this chemicals subsidiary, not a subsidiary, an own company to specialize and focus on chemicals, especially because there have been a lot of uh, regulatory advancements within Europe. So you kind of have to specialize and really focus on that field, as you can imagine, and similar in the US. So around 2011-12, they founded chemicals, and then it kind of grew organically until 2019, I would say, with around... 25 people, which is when I joined in August 2019. And then we made a merger and acquisition in the same year, two of them, one production plant and one like asset deal with people and knowledge and IP and and recipes and so on. So then it kind of quadrupled within a very short time to around 100 people. And now we're nearing 150. So we have two production facilities within Germany, a couple of them also partnerships around the world, obviously, building a third one in northeastern Germany. And so we're a manufacturer, formulator, a blender, and also a bit of R&D for biocides, biocidal substances, and biocide products, obviously. And so additives, in particular, the oilfield chemical production. Yeah, and then some other specialty chemicals, depending on the customer, whatever they need. That's interesting. And biocides, too, it's always an interesting thing to me when I look at something like that, because it's not an area I've particularly personally worked in, but it touches a wide variety of market areas. So let's dive into this. So the pandemic obviously put a big spotlight on hygiene, biocides, just the importance of that. How has that impacted your business? I would say two main points that I saw, and I guess there are many more, but first of all, it was the the need for the online communication to be stronger, right? We were at the beginning of the post-merge because we closed the merge at the end of 2019 when the COVID strike. So after that, we were not able to face each other. And we were like four different work cultures joining. So we needed to establish the online communication platforms and channel really fast. And I think that one of the main tasks. And this was also very important towards the customers because it was also a change also for the salespeople, how they face it, how they sell the company themselves, how they they gain the trust. So to get the follow-up, communicating pretty fast, any adjustment on supply and demand, which was a lot happening. So I have to say we adapt pretty fast to this change, which allows to keep to keep on growing. So I think that was one of the main points. And I would say the other one was to have a strong supply network. So utilize this a strong supply network that the Pink, Pink Chemical Group has. And that allows us to, despite the situation, to be able to get the materials and keep providing the solution to our customers. So I think I would say on these two were, were challenging. Yes. Yeah. And that's interesting. I put the two together until you mentioned that, the fact that you guys quadrupled your business, as Branca said, at the end of 2019 by acquiring businesses. And then immediately thereafter, the pandemic started, global shutdowns and just challenges in terms of both one trying to really form and integrate those businesses, 
And then two, be able to respond to the market under intense pressures, because all of a sudden, everybody wanted your products. That's true. If, if I may add on, I had a couple of things in that. There was famous Article 89 of the BPR, which in essence meant a derogation from a couple of requirements. So basically in Europe, you have like green-lighted or green-listed suppliers, and then no other suppliers are allowed to supply active substances. So you kind of have to buy from them. Now that was abolished for ethanol or isopropanol or some other substances during the pandemic. So you could basically buy like everybody... I'm not saying everybody, but in essence, everybody could produce and buy from wherever they wanted from the world. So there was a real flood of disinfectants. And I think similar things happened also in the USA. I just recently read an article where a, I think a Texan company was fined around 250K uh, violating FIFRA, which is the Biocides Act for the US, as you know. And they still sold some of the old disinfectants, which were not allowed to be sold anymore or something similar like that. I, I don't know the details. But this is a similar situation in the market. So we had to pivot kind of the business model. We were into incorporating all the products that we've had and then bought through the acquisitions. And then suddenly you have to change and produce and buy a lot of disinfectants and, and sell a lot of leaders to a lot of customers. And so, yeah, that was interesting. So a typical VUCA, uh, so volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world situation. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting too is a lot of the markets that you sell into are very highly regulated, right? As you've touched on, what challenges do you face in entering those markets, right? So you're entering new markets with really pretty high entry barriers when you think about regulations and the regulated chemistry market. What are the challenges and how do you guys tackle that? I think I'll take that first as well. And then maybe Diana can follow up from her perspective. It's been a very interesting and very, very complex journey for me so far, you know, the last couple of three years. And I, I still am humbled on a daily basis. And I'm so happy that I have a great team who are the experts, you know, like toxicologists, microbiologists, chemists, obviously, because no one person can know everything. That's, I think in chemistry, you learn that pretty much it's such a broad field. It's really everywhere. I mean, even if firearms are regulated by a different regulation, right? As in the US, it's kind of chemistry as well at work there and food also there's chemistry. So it's such a broad field that we're just human beings, you know, with a limited CPU up there. So what I want to say, it's been an interesting journey. So basically you have to stay curious and learn every day. It's interesting because Tosca and Reach, let's say that they're the main regulations, obviously when I compare the EU and the US, they have a different mindset. So penetrating the new market uh, requires a lot of preparatory, also regulatory works. So of course, uh, maybe Diana and her colleagues will do more of market research and, and customers, and she can get into that in a second. But from a regulatory perspective, you also have to do a lot of regulatory market research. So, you know, let's say just a small difference. It's like the EPA enforces uh, Tosca, whereas it reaches enforced by the member states in the EU. Then you have this Tosca list with 85K chemicals. Many of them are inactive, obviously. Some of them are active. In REACH, you have like really registrations per producer, per substance. So we have to supply in advance without the EPA. So the ECA, which is the European Chemicals Agency, without them asking us explicitly through a ruling or through some test order, whatever exists in the Tosca, you have to provide a big dossier in advance, which can be several hundreds, if not a thousand pages. And so there are all these differences where you have to, in the beginning, I think, rely on a good network, good knowledge of consultants, and then also get your own in-house expertise up, a lot of training, a lot of internal communication and a lot of knowledge management. So that's from our legal part. I mean. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think the piece as well is that I've heard from talking with others, certainly just thinking about the timeframe that you guys have been working in and trying to focus this growth over the past two years. 
is it's been very hard to move new products through the system, if you will, the regulatory system in the U.S., certainly, I think Europe as well. But the U.S. has a lot of people have felt really stagnated in their ability to move new products. Now, you mentioned certain regulations lessened or got lifted temporarily because of the pandemic for pandemic response, but many things did not. And it's a complex set of rules and regulations and individuals and in groups to be working through. Yeah, definitely. And I think on the side of the market perspective, I mean, entry a new market is what you say is challenging, many regulation and investment. It's an investment. So you will need to really be aware and on what you want to focus, right? Because it's not the same, okay? In Germany, it's our base home. We have way much more. But when we think about North America, it's to be really focused on what would be our main products, our main solutions. How do we want to differentiate? Because also the customers don't know as they know us in, in Germany, right? Or in Europe. So I think here in North America, it was also important to gain partnerships, which believe in what you do and our products and our solutions to give you the opportunity to prove yourself and winning, start winning projects. And I think here also our experience in Europe and the rest of the world played also or is playing a big role since we have already business cases or case studies that we can replicate in North America in some of these cases. Right. That makes sense. And have you found that you've been able to take some of your European relationships and your traditional markets and carry them over into North America as you guys are entering the market? Yes, some of these relationships were already there or help us to make the bridge because some of the European customers have also the part also here in North America. So I think it's a mix between new relationships and relationships that we just kind of bridge from Europe to, to North America. So, you know, you talk about kind of the differentiation. And I think for me, a lot of this is around, you know, I talk to people a lot about the customer experience. And I think customer experience is really critical, not fully understand by most chemical companies or B2B industrial companies, right? We often think of customer experiences more B2C. And yet we're all individuals. We actually work with individuals, even though they're in a business context, et cetera. But what does that mean to Vink? How do you guys think about that? What makes you different? How does Vink differentiate itself versus its competitors? Well, the first part, what does that mean, the customer experience for, for Vink? I think it's, it's what you say. It's, also, it's not just B2C, it's also B2B. It's, for us, it's a holistic experience, you know, that makes such an impact on our customers, that motivates them and to stay with us, to work with us, to rely on us. And we definitely try to lead this through our DNA, is what we call it. So. According to our name, we develop our DNA, which means that's clever. Value on the value is we create and value this for our stakeholders. So we are there for the customers, ensuring availability, quality, in-time delivery, being open attitude, and this leads to the I, which is innovation, being flexible, open-minded, going with the changes, also with the time. So the next for us is Nexus which is also working together, working with our customers, our partners, connect. And finally, the K, which is for us, Kaizen, which is trying to do all the time better and better. So I think for us, the customer experience, we try to summarize it on this DNA for us. And on the second part of your questions, like how differentiate from the competitors, I think we are kind of like a mix, an hybrid. We are a global international company 
but because of our size and lean structures, we are flexible and can react faster than a bigger corporation to the specific customer needs. So we put a lot of effort on the customer intimacy to be there because for us, it's not just whatever customer, like they are really important for us. So we rely really on them. So I think that's one of our main differentiations, I would say. Awesome. That's really interesting. I would add on that maybe uh, one or two things. I think you're completely right, Victoria, when you talk about general, I think, literature and teachings, a lot of universities and, and so on courses focus on B2C. So there's a lot of study about the consumer, consumer psychology, and why are they buying a Rolex and not a Louis Vuitton and so on. Yeah, so that's super interesting, a lot of psychological behavior, but, but maybe maybe this stale, I'm not saying it's stale, but it's viewed maybe as traditional and stale industry, chemistry. There's maybe not been enough studies or focus on that psychological aspect or that human aspect, as you say. It's a lot science, product, efficacy, toxicology, and so on, and structures. So I think what makes us a bit different that we've still kept at this medium-sized level of humane approach, as Diana alluded with our Vink DNA. So I think one of our strengths is that we have a lot of different nationalities within the company and so different languages and we have still this nexus mentality so we have different nexuses be it south america north america europe asia and so on and it's a bit familial so it's will not refer like oh i'm not at all responsible for xyz i have to refer you to this person and the next person is oh actually i'm responsible partly for that but actually i'm a specialist for that and we're not afraid of taking decisions. You know, I think as, as Diana alluded, we're pretty agile and not afraid yet to do things because we're confident in our things that we're allowed to do and, and that we can do. And we're not afraid of improvisation and so on, finding different solutions, different delivery dates, different routes of transportation. So, so that's been an interesting thing. What I would say regarding a holistic customer experience is that it's not only about just selling a product. So you have to address the person as well. I think that's what you've been saying within your question. But not only that, I think sometimes you have to become very clear to us within our regulatory work, because we do have a strong regulatory team. You have to cooperate within the entire supply chain. So from the first raw material producer, downstream, 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 or somewhere in the midstream producer about data, you know, the safety data sheets and delivery of data, maybe not always full composition because that's confidential business information, but any data, any consultation you can give, if you can explain the synergies of your product with their product, with your customer's product, you can explain it to them. Because sometimes, frankly, even the customers, of course, they're chemists, but they don't know our products that well or... Maybe they don't know even their products. Well, nobody, as we've said before, can know everything. So sometimes they just say, yeah, just give me 10 tons and I'll just put a lot of it into my product where maybe half of the dosage would have been good. And if we can also save our customers some money, they'll, they'll develop more trust because like, hey, he has, he has also my interests at heart. So there's a lot of consultation, a lot of work pre-product, during product, post-product. Makes sense. And I think you're right. Your point about the customers not fully understanding their bandwidth, their ability to know everything about every product and alternative that's out there is not there. You can't do it. It's infinite, right? There's infinite choices and you can only make a few. And the easiest thing to do is just keep doing what you've always done, to keep buying the same product, to keep making the same formulation. It's not necessarily the right thing. It's not necessarily the most profitable. It doesn't necessarily satisfy your customer and your customer's customer, but it's proven, it's expedient, it's low risk. And I think sometimes it's easy to confuse low risk with high value. Yeah, I don't think low risk with high value, but so much it's easy to confuse low risk with the fact that, oh, well, that's where I'm going to make maximum profit. 
Uh, maybe not. It may be just a degradation of your business if you don't keep trying new products, formulations, new behaviors, new activities, et cetera. So I think that's interesting. So you're cutting up, working across a variety of markets with a variety of people. How do you strike a balance? Like, how do you balance the different needs of those markets and regions and the customers that you sell into? I think as we have, you know, our strongest markets still. So, what, you know, we have already the footprint where customers know us really well through the years. So this is for us, of course, still, you know, our main focus. But then, of course, is a time where you need to decide to stay there or to go to the other regions. So I think a step-by-step through the development of the company, because we also have grown with some people on products and so on. I think it's the time where, where we do we want to invest? In this case, for example, North America is a big part of it. It's a new, exciting, big part of it. So I think it's, it's not to try to do everything at once, to be really focused and conscious of which steps you are taking, but not to be afraid. So I think it's the balance of focusing, but not to be afraid of going there and investing and trying. I would say it's also part of the balance to keep the new the business that we have, but also gain new experiences and new business and new markets. Yeah, that makes sense. One of our added strengths as well with, with balancing the market needs is I think many companies, and that's not wrong, we do that as well, I'm not trying to be the smart guy here for the entire world, is that you kind of make your strategy, you sit in your room, obviously you have your feedback and your reports and so on. And then you make a strategy and you kind of try to, you know, I made this strategy, I made this business plan, I need to follow through. And I feel that sometimes, and it's very interesting, and I can't say the final result, you know, so we'll see in a couple of years, I guess. But I think one of our strengths as well is that we have some seasoned people within the different markets who like have worked in some industry, be it a paint industry or biocides industry or oil and gas industry within the different regions. And we're kind of just there and listening. So it's not a, how should I say, it's not a deductive strategy where like it's been done abstractly from the top brass and then we have to do it because the market says so and Gardner says so and McKinsey says so. It's more like we're also just listening like, hey, what do you guys need? And we, we're aware, as Diana said, we can't do everything. But within this constant communication, like a global mindset, but on a local level, what do you need? What is happening here? What is happening there? We're kind of trying to service as is and then from there develop the strategy. So it's not necessarily a preconceived strategy of which we have, but we also can kind of adapt it and listen to what they need and which comes back to this customer experience, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's critical, right? Because if you develop strategy within a vacuum, it's just going to get sucked up, right? I mean, at the end of the day, your strategy has to be connected to what your customers and the markets want. And then, and frankly, the beauty of a small, young company is the ability to be nimble and innovate and try new things as you seek to establish what your platforms really are going to be. I think that's part of the beauty, again, about, you know, this in the position we play in the market, you know, being international, but still on the size. And I think the culture is pretty, you know, hands-on, like, okay, what Franco says, try it. You just go and do it. But at the same time, of course, you need to have this focus on, okay, we are developing more and more. We are growing on the personal. So certain structures need to be there. So it has been for us, I would say, pretty interesting, challenging, but also a fun road to find this balance. Is it hard to find people within the chemical industry as you're trying to grow your team that are able to do that, that are able to just see the opportunity and say, yeah, I'm going to do it, that fit the DNA that Vink is developing? Are you, 
Is it a challenge to find people that fit that DNA? That's a great question. And I can say yes. I think the US has been discussing a lot about this big resignation wave, I think, and quiet quitting. I feel like a lot of things that happen in the US also like mentally spoke over to Europe after some time. So we mimic what's happening, like the same discussions. We start the same ones that, that you guys might have had a couple of months or even years ago. So it's difficult. Um, you have to strike the balance between the philosophy hired for attitude. So you may find an excellent person, but who has not been within the chemicals industry. And you know, you can kind of teach them, you know, if you follow the 80-20 rule, so the Pareto principle, nobody needs to know 100%. So you can teach whatever that person needs to know within a reasonable amount of time and have like internal onboarding and so on. And maybe even e-learning if you have these kind of things within the company so they can get to a very, very good level and strike the balance between, well, this person has the skills. So that is rarer and that is not easy to find. Like somebody who's, oh yeah, this person has 11 years experience in the biocide, the regulatory field, or is a chemist exactly in the bioscience field. So great, we found another one. So that's not that common, obviously. So that's not been easy. Yeah. Interesting. So you tend to more hire for attitude and capability and train them where you need them trained. Yeah, as well. I mean, we've had also specialists, but it has been working out well. Good. That's awesome. So it feels like the world has been in a bit of turmoil over the last couple of years. Everything from, you know, with the pandemic and supply chain challenges, we've got the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which is having a pretty significant impact on global supply chains again, but also thinking about energy and feedstocks, et cetera, in Europe. And then inflation, which is here. I think we can deny everybody's experiencing inflation. How is that affecting your business today? And how are you responding to that? That's also a good question. I'll start maybe Dana to build up on that. So we have looked into, of course, the Eastern Europe in general as a potential market. But frankly, even pre-pandemic, we haven't had much exposure there. So that luckily hasn't affected our business in any significant way. But what you've said with the energy prices and inflation and supply chain, that has been a big challenge because, of course, if you don't get your raw materials or your finished products from Asia, wherever you want to deliver them, you cannot deliver them to Asia, then that's really difficult. Inflation has been interesting, whereas before with suppliers or customers, they were kind of willing to do contracts to go over two or three years with a price binding and so on. Now we have, for example, contracts with uh, suppliers or customers that can like change prices on a, um, I won't say daily basis, but almost it feels like it, but on a monthly basis, then you don't have any price stability or kind of really forecast that my cogs are going to be this and that for the next three years. So it's been a lot of more negotiation, even maybe more close communication. And from the legal perspective, more uncertainty, I'd say, because of that inflation. And everybody wants to get a good margin, obviously, which I'm sure everybody deserves, but it's become more difficult for everyone, I feel. Yeah, makes sense. Diana, do you see it the same way? Definitely. I think it's, again, about this balance, no? communicating way much more with the customers, but with the supplier at the same time, because you need to align these two, you know, assure one and assure the other at the same time. So it's definitely more communication effort and being way much closer in order to adapt really fast to these changes. Again, communicated changes in case material is not here or price is here. But I think if you have this communication, you know, with both sides, they are in the same situations. 
in a lot of the time, it's not like we are alone. So everybody knows what's happening. So the understanding also for that situation, although everybody's looking for still being on the business, remaining there, growing, etc. The understanding is there. They know, okay, you know, we need them because they need us. So it's this partnership. So in a lot of cases, I would say the majority of the cases, if you are there and work there, it's also they know that they help each other. You need to be there because they are on the same boat, same supply chain issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Communicate and adapt and negotiate a lot, it sounds like. <laughs> a lot, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's great. So what's next for Vink? Where are you guys heading as we lead closing out 2022 and moving into 2023? What's next for you? I think, well, I would say for me and for Vink, uh, for me is I've been transferred to U.S. Based, I'm now based in U.S. since May. So just a couple of months. So for me is grow the region, grow the team and adapt to U.S., learn and absorb everything as fine as I can in order to establish the right structures, right people, find the right people and the partners that allow us to gain more of footprint in the region. So I think that's on the perspective of these new regions, developments that we are aiming. I think that's the next big step to invest here and stay here. So for me personally, but also on the business point of view, I think at the beginning we started, everything started through the merchant acquisition project. And that's how we started in the regions. After that, we needed some partnerships, you know, exports. But I think now on the market strategies entries, we are now on the point to be direct and invest, you know, here. So I think that will be the next years. That's great. Bronco, from your point of view? From my point of view, I'd say as I'm also responsible for HR globally, still further build the team. It's been a very challenging, very interesting thing because we've started with uh, teams and being global, especially in the regulatory department, because they're situated not everywhere in the world, but multiple sites. So we'll, we've always been a virtual team. So the transition was not too difficult, but further build the team and also the virtual team because it's virtually impossible to meet physically. Though we have done that in June with a lot of people from everywhere. That was a great success, but still integrate the four different cultures. So we have a couple of surprises for our employees, which is which is a good thing and some tools to help us become more of a unity. Finding the right-minded people, that's always a challenge. We've touched upon that already, so it's difficult and more so for the chemicals market because an affinity is, of course, preferred. But as we've discussed, the identity also helps a lot. In general, for the company, scaling and becoming more efficient and more effective, which is, I guess, everybody's dream anyway. Way, but scaling will be important. Continue to learn more from my part and my team's part about beat FIFRA, beat Tosca, obviously more. There is also about Korea. There is the KBPR and KREACH. Turkey has introduced a new REACH, which is called Kikidik recently, and they have the Turkish BPR. So there's a lot of these are nuanced and the more products we introduce in any given market, the more expertise we got to have. So then there are requests that can come from agricultural sector. There are requests from the food contact material sector. And it's always going to be an interesting journey to learn more about anything in, in chemistry Absolutely. and all, all related regulations. Sounds great. So it sounds like growth is on your horizon one way or another. Well, let's hope, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Diana and Bronco, thank you for joining me today on The Chemical Show. Appreciated getting your perspectives, learning more about you and learning more about Bink. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for inviting us. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, following and sharing The Chemical Show. And we'll talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. 
simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.